a handout on your way in. I am accustomed to doing fill-in-the-blanks and notes and all of that. If you don't have one, I'm sure somebody would love to jump up and get you one. So uh, feel free to raise your hand and see who that is. But uh, I'm looking forward this, to preaching to you all this morning. You guys in the castle back there will have to help me out. Normally, uh, somebody else hits the button for me. So if I get behind, just hit next, okay? <laughs> so, uh, but we are once again on vacation, and uh, we're happy to spend it with you all. It's nice to have friends uh, where you spend vacation. You know, it's nice to have a church to go to. And normally, this being New Year's Day, I would preach a message that would go along with the holiday and, you know, the general mindset that most of us are in. That's not the message that God has brought for, for us today. I know what's been happening here. I talked with Pastor Hubby for quite a while, several weeks ago, and then yesterday also, when he told me he's on his second round of antibiotics with bronchitis and how he desires to be here. But just to tell you how he's doing, he had me pray at the end of the phone call because his voice is so bad. So he, he really wants to be here today, uh, but he's just struggling getting over the, the voice and the cough part of it. But I've talked to Pastor Hovey, and he's, uh, you know, he's shared a lot with me. I called Brother Aaron after that and just to hear what God was doing in their life, and Brother Aaron was kind, and we talked for a long time. I think that if we ever worked together, we would never get anything done. <laughs> Because <laughs> we're just, uh, we just have such a good time together talking. And so, but I know what's going on. My wife and I are burdened for you all, and we ache with you. So, for weeks now, I have known that I was going to preach today, and I've been asking God in prayer to, in His mercy, allow me to preach a message that would be a help. A sermon that wouldn't ignore the problems and pretend like there's nothing going on, but rather would help you to endure them and give you some comfort and some hope in the midst of it all. And it's not an easy message to prepare. I've labored over it, and three times I think I've changed the text. I've outlined something and then had no peace about it, and, and God changed it. And finally this week, God settled my heart and mind in a passage and though it's a lot of responsibility and I feel it, I really am excited to preach to you all this morning. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 21 together. And what I do is I put it up behind you, uh, behind me on the screen. It's there in your notes. And of course, it's in your Bible. They all say the same thing. So let's follow along together. It says in verse 9, let love be without dissimulation. Abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice, and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Do you want to be a help to this church? Do you want to be a part of the solution around here? Do you want your life and the way that you're living it to make the church healthier and stronger? Of course you do. That's why you're here. In Romans 12 here, the Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, gives us three key responsibilities that we have as church members. And the first one is that we should love each other. We need to love each other. In verses 9 through 10, he says, Let love be without dissimulation, abhor that which is evil, cleave to that which is good. 
Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor preferring one another. There's five attitudes here that we as church, commander, uh, church members are commanded to have. And the first is to be sincere. He says, let love be without dissimulation. That word means unfeigned or without pretense. Uh, it means genuine, not just an act, not just a facade, not, as they say, putting on airs, but genuine, sincere love. Your love for the people in this room should be genuine. It should be real. That's what is best for this church. That is what is best for you. You shouldn't be putting on airs. You ought to be sincere in your love for each other. And if you can't be sincere, you need to fix it right now. Colossians 3 says, Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, and long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another. If any man have a quarrel against any, even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all these things, put on charity or love, which is the bond of perfectness. Your love should be sincere. Not only that, we need to be separated. Verse 9 says, Abhor that which is evil and cleave to that which is good. To abhor means to have a, a vehement dislike for, to hate something strongly. In the word is literally the idea of shuddering. Depending on where you grew up, you might call it different things. Uh, the willy-nillies, the heebie-jeebies. I think my wife calls it the riggers. You know, when you start talking about something and you just go, oh, you know. That's the idea. Evil makes you shudder. Despise wickedness. Stay away from it. Avoid it at all costs. And then it says, cleave to that which is good, which means to join to it or to glue yourself or cement yourself to it. We should be shuddering from the evil and cleaving, sticking to the good. You know, as human beings, we typically have the opposite tendency. What we usually do is we creep toward the evil and backslide from the good. No, but the Bible says that we need to shudder at evil, abhor it, and it need, we need to cling to what is good. And then notice, not only does he say to be separated and sincere, but he says, be sympathetic. Verse 10, be kindly affectioned one to another. Kindly affectioned. In Greek, that's one word. It means to love dearly or to love tenderly. You must show tender, loving care to one another. This church needs some TLC. It does. You need to find ways to show it. You need to come up with ways to be kindly affectioned one to another. You need to send out a card this week. You need to walk up to somebody and give a genuine compliment to them. You need to uh, listen more than, you're, than you would normally listen to someone. You need to be attentive to people. You need to smile at people. Be kindly affectioned one to another. Show a little sympathy for each other, a little TLC, and show love to each other and be sensitive also. He says in verse 10 again, with brotherly love. We know this word, it's Philadelphia. With brotherly love, the facts from Scripture are these, that these people in this room are your family, and you need to treat them as such. They're your brothers and Christ, uh, sisters in Christ. First John is a... Incredible verse in 1 John 4, 20 and 21. It says, If a man say, I love God and hateth his brother, he's a liar. For he that loveth not his brother whom he hath seen, how can he love God whom he hath not seen? And this commandment have we from him, that he who loveth God love his brother also. Be sensitive to each other and be submissive to each other. In verse 10 it says, In honor preferring one another, in honor, preferring one another. The word honor means the showing of respect or reverence or honor, the assigning of status to a person in your mind. Do you respect your fellow church members? Do you give them special status? Do you value them differently than you do other people? The word preferring there is a very interesting word. It means to go first and to lead the way to do something with eagerness, to do something with uh, far more effort than is normal. 
So you could reasonably, reasonably word this verse like this. You need to take the lead in showing deference to one another. You need to excel in honoring and respecting one another. You need to be eager in respecting each other. Apparently, showing respect to fellow Christians is a big deal, and it's something that we should be excelling at. Are you? How do you treat the people in this room? Are you excelling at it with them? One Sunday, a lady was out inviting children to her Sunday school class. And she came across a boy, and he had a Sunday school class, but it was miles away. And she said, young man, why do you go so far to get to your Sunday school? There are plenty of other Sunday school classes that are just as good. And the boy said, well, they may be so good, but they're not so good for me. And she said, well, why not? And he said, because they love a fellow over there. The first responsibility of church members from Romans 12 is to love each other. To love each other. And the second is to labor together. To labor together. It says in verses 11 through 13, not slothful in business, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. Rejoicing in hope, patient in tribulation, continuing instant in prayer, distributing to the necessity of saints, given to hospitality. Have you ever been faced with a situation that's kind of out of your hands and you think, what can I do? What can I do? Is there something that I can do? You might not have all the answers or know how God is going to work things out, but there are certain things that you can do today that will contribute to the health and the stability of this church. And we have six things right here that you can do from Romans 12. And the first is you need to be passionate. Not slothful in business, but fervent in spirit, serving the Lord. The word slothful means to be idle or lazy, to be holding back or hesitating or being reluctant. And the word business means diligence or willingness or eagerness or zeal. Don't hesitate for Christ in the church. Don't be reluctant to be diligent. Don't hold back your willingness and your zeal to serve. The word fervent there means to be hot to boil. You must be boiling in the Spirit for Christ. That was an idiom in Paul's day, to be boiling inside. We have idioms in our day too. Uh, for example, we have the idioms, uh, phrases, champing at the bit, or chomping at the bit, depending on how you say it, raring to go, right? Uh, on the edge of your seat. You ought to be this way for Christ. When's the last time you were champing at the bit to go to church? Oh, I just can't wait to get there. It's a Sunday morning. Uh, when was the last time you were on the edge of your seat about the lesson you're going to teach your Sunday school class? To go work in the nursery, to run the sound booth, to walk the parking lot for security, to work as an usher. Are you serving the Lord with excitement? Or have you been slacking off in the area of zeal, slothful in, in business and eagerness? You know, the devil loves idle, apathetic Christians. They're no threat to him. But Jesus desires zealous Christians. He told the church in Laodicea, he said, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. And he commands them, he challenges them in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. You need to get excited about coming to church again and not let that slip. And then we need to stay positive, be passionate, stay positive. The word, uh, the verse says rejoicing in hope, rejoicing in hope. Are you, are you rejoicing in hope this morning? Whose church is this? God's, Christ's, Right. Are you rejoicing in hope? It's God's church. This is Christ's body. We sang some songs this morning. Is God sovereign? Do you believe that? Do you realize that for God to be sovereign and unchanging, that means that from, be, from before the beginning of time, all of his purposes and plans and thoughts were already established? Nothing's occurred to him. Ever. 
He already knew. This is his church. This is Christ's body. He has a purpose and plan. Has he ever forsaken his people? Never. Rejoice! Psalm 42, verse 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? Hope thou in God, for I shall yet praise him for the help of his countenance. I get excited as a pastor. I get kind of excited when all hope is lost, humanly speaking. I get kind of excited about that. I perk up a little bit when things move beyond my control and there's nothing I can do. Because I figure, based on what the Bible says, and based on what I've seen in my own experience with the Lord, that if my only hope is that God will do something, I have a front row seat to a miracle. And I'm excited. You know, rejoicing in hope. I feel kind of like Moses in those situations where he said in Exodus 14, 13, Fear ye not, stand still. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will show you today. Red Sea on one side, mountain range on the other, and Egyptians barreling down in between. And Moses says, don't be afraid. Just stand still and see what God will do. I get excited in situations like that. There is not one single situation in the life of this church or in the life that you're living that can steal your joy unless you let it. Rejoice in the Lord, the Bible says, always. And again, I say rejoice. We need to be passionate and stay positive, And we need to resolve to persevere. Verse 12, be patient, it says, in tribulation. I encourage you to do your own word studies on this because you, you might not believe me here. This word patient it's a compound word in Greek. It's the word hupo meno. The word hupo is a preposition. It means under. Meno is a verb that means to remain. So that word literally, patient, means to remain under. It's often translated endure in your Bible. Also, it's translated abide and tarry. One dictionary says it like this, that the word signifies to remain in a place instead of leaving it to stay behind. Another lexicon reads, to continue to bear up despite difficulty and suffering, to endure, to bear up, to demonstrate endurance, and to put up with. What do we do as Christians when there's trouble? What are we supposed to do when there's trouble in the church? Verse 12, you stay and you endure it. Some things are worth standing your ground and persevering for. Christian, be patient in tribulation and stay and endure it. There was a letter written many, many years ago from the Alamo. It says, to the people of Texas and all Americans in the world, I am besieged by a thousand or more of the Mexicans under Santa Ana. I have sustained a continual bombardment and cannonade for 24 hours and have not lost a man. The enemy has demanded a surrender at discretion. Otherwise, the garrison are to be put to the sword if the fort is taken. I have answered the, the demand with a cannon shot, and our flag still waves proudly from the walls. I shall never surrender or retreat. Then I call on you in the name of liberty, of patriotism, and everything dear of the American character to come to our aid with all dispatch. The enemy is receiving reinforcements daily and will no doubt increase to three or 4,000 in four or five days. If this call is neglected, I am determined to sustain myself as long as possible and to die like a soldier who never forgets what is due to his own honor and that of his country, victory or death, William Barrett Travis. I found the end of the letter interesting where he says, P.S. The Lord is on our side. When the enemy appeared, we had not three bushels of corn, but we have since found in deserted houses 80 or 90 bushels and got into the wall 20 or 30 head of beeves, Travis. 2 Timothy 2.3 says, Thou therefore endure hardness. As a good soldier of Jesus Christ, this isn't a country club. It's a church. It's the house of God. 
the church of the living God, the pillar and ground of the truth. Americans treat churches today as if they're interchangeable, as if the bonds here are superficial. That's a lie, it's wrong, and it's a shame. This is a family. These are your people. And families have problems. They go through hard times, and we put up with it because it's family. Why should we regard the family of God any less? Be passionate. Stay positive. Resolve to persevere and keep praying. Keep praying. Verse 12, continuing instant in prayer. The word continuing means to be steadfast, to continue steadfastly in a thing and to give unremitting care to it, to persist in it, to be busily engaged in it, to be devoted to it. I like this word here. I like the word continue. You know what I really like? I like how the Bible assumes that you're doing this already. Continue in prayer. I mean, you are praying for your church, right? Are you praying for your pastor? Are you praying that God would make the way forward very clear? Prayer is only as powerful as God is. But how often we neglect it or underestimate it. Prayer can and will bring blessing to this church. And most of the time as church members, we don't really believe in the power of prayer to change and bless a church. For example, I was reading a book on prayer by R.A. Torrey. And in it, he says, in Ephesians chapter 6, Paul urgently requests the earnest prayers of the believers in Ephesus for himself, that in answer to their prayers, he may preach the gospel with boldness and with power. He urged the church to pray for him. And here we see the power of prayer to bring blessing, boldness, and efficiency to ministers of the gospel. A minister can be made a man of power by prayer. And he can be unmade and deprived of power by people failing to pray for him. Any church can have a mighty man of God for its pastor if it is willing to pay the price. And that price is not a big salary, but great praying. Do you have a pastor whom you do not like, a pastor that may be inefficient, or perhaps a pastor who does not clearly know nor preach the truth? Do you want a new pastor? I can tell you how to get him. Pray for the one you have until God makes him new. He gives an example. Many years ago, in one of the Cornish parishes of the Church of England, the vicar or the preacher was not even a converted man. He had little interest in the things of God. His interest was largely in restoring old churches and in matters of ritual. But there were a great many godly people in that parish, and they began to pray to God to convert their minister. They would go to church every Sunday and watch for the answer to their prayers. And one Sunday, when he got up to speak, he had not uttered many sentences before the people of spiritual discernment realized that their prayer had been answered, and a cry rose all over the church, the parsons converted! The parsons converted! And it was true. Not only was he converted, but he was endued with power from on high, and for many years, God used that man all over England for the conversion of sinners, for the blessing of saints, for the awakening of the churches as almost no other man in the church of England. Think your church has problems? Pray. Pray more. Pray more earnestly. Pray expectantly. You must pray and continue to pray. Prayer is very important and you must pray. Look at how redundant the Apostle Paul is in Ephesians 6, 18. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all saints. He said it six different ways there. Pray. Be passionate and stay positive. Resolve to persevere and keep praying. And then, verse 13, keep paying distributing to the necessity of the saints. First off, let's remember that I didn't write this. God did. We're just studying what God already put on the page. Isn't that incredible? The word distributing means to have a share, to give or to contribute a share, to share your possessions with the implication of some kind of joint participation and mutual interest. In Paul's day, and you can study the book of Acts and find this, the church literally received and distributed supplies. 
to their people. Money, meals, clothes, you name it. The church got it and handed it out again. Most churches were persecuted in some way. Many Christians had to lose their job or their family or their inheritance or their place in society in order to profess Christ, and they were utterly dependent on the church. In our day, our giving supplies the ministry, turns on the lights, pays the salaries, buys the curriculum, keeps the building intact. We help with needs when they come up. We support missionaries. Part of being a member of a church is participating in the giving. You have a share in this church, and every member should be contributing as God enables them. You know, it's a privilege to be able to participate in sharing the needs of the church. I'm going to tell you a story that I haven't even told my own church. When I graduated seminary in 2011, my wife and I moved back to Grand Rapids. Uh, where I grew up and where I believed that God desired me to be a pastor. I had no prospects at the time. We just went there. We heard about a church we had, I had never attended before, even though I had attended a lot of different churches in Grand Rapids growing up. And I researched the church before we moved, and I listened to the sermons that the pastor preached. And once we got there, we visited and joined the church. My wife and I helped out. We cleaned uh, we worked with the kids, things like that, until the pastor at the time hired me as his part-time assistant. I would work four 12-hour shifts at the factory, and then on Friday, I would go in and work with him. And for years, a few years, I did that. After that, the pastor retired, and the church confirmed their confidence in me with a 94% congregational vote, which was a big deal for me because Brother Aaron, at the time, they only needed a simple majority to call a pastor. So 51%, and I could have been pastor with a split church. So 94% was a big deal, especially since I was only 28 at the time. I knew what I was getting into. We had about 100 people in the congregation, but the building was enormous. It was 40,000 square feet. The auditorium seated 1,200. On a good day, I filled 10% of the seats. The ceilings were 30 feet tall, and the facilities were in terrible disrepair, so much so it was fiscally irresponsible to fix it. We had to sell it and move. So we explained that situation to the church, and they were behind me in that. We listed the building and the property, all 19 acres of it, for sale. Our situation was, was pretty bad. We cut the budget every year when I first started. We even had to write a letter to all our missionaries saying, listen, we're running on borrowed time. And if you are doing better than you need to be, if you've got more support than you need and you can afford to be without our support, would you please be kind enough to tell us? It was a humbling letter to write. And we only were able to keep three of our missionaries. We did the math. If we were to go on as we were, we would run out of money by April of 2018. God sold the property in April of 2018. That's the way he works with me. And we met in a school for nearly five months. And we've been in our new location, our new church, debt-free and growing for four years. But during that time of financial trouble, the church got a letter. There was a wealthy individual in our church, an elderly person, and their giving alone made up 10% of our budget. And I got a letter from the son-in-law who had power of attorney, uh, attorney, power of attorney. He had never stepped foot uh, in the doors of our church. He had an opinion, though, about how the church should move forward. And the letter said that all of our decisions concerning the sale of the old property and the purchase of a new one were all wrong. And unless we followed the plan that this letter proposed from this outsider, we would never again see a dime of that money. 10% of our budget. I knew my answer. I asked the advice of my deacons just to make sure we were all on the same page, and we replied, declining to take his advice. And we never saw another dime. But God didn't need it. And we didn't miss it. I was kind to that elderly member. 
who had no say in the situation. I treated them no differently. I haven't told a soul in the church about that story. When that member passed away, I did the funeral. And I met that son-in-law face to face. And I treated him gracefully as if nothing had ever happened. And it was a good service. And that family was kind to me. But I feel sorry for that family. God didn't need their money. He blessed the church without it. And they cut themselves off from participating in that blessing. That man had to sit back and watch from the sidelines as God did everything that we hoped he would do and more. Not only realizing that he was wrong, but also that he was left fruitless. Philippians 4.17, Paul says, Not that I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. He's talking about giving. Listen, God can take care of this church without your money. But are you sure you want him to? 2 Corinthians 9 is about giving also. He says, but this I say, he which soweth sparingly shall reap also sparingly, and he which soweth bountifully shall reap also bountifully. Every man, according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give, not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, always having all sufficiency and all things, may abound to every good work. It amazes me, but when trouble arises in churches, there are certain people that think, well, I'm going to keep my money until I see where this is going. Until I can be certain that this church is still worthy of my investment. You're never going to find that idea in the Bible. You wouldn't stop feeding your grandmother if she got a little sick. If you cut off your money, the only thing you're cutting off is your own blessing. Because God will take care of this church in spite of you. And heaven forbid you make him do that. It's right there in the text. Keep paying. Keep praying, resolve to persevere, stay positive, be passionate, and be pursuing. It says given, verse 13, to hospitality. The word given is the same word as persecute and pursue. You're supposed to do this with an intense effort, with a definite purpose or goal. All of you should be pursuing hospitality. Well, what is hospitality? Texans ought to know. But here in the scriptures, the word literally means the love of strangers. To receive and show hospitality to someone who is not a member of your family or a close friend. To reach out to people beyond that. Churches are a last resort for a lot of people. There are some that have no one else. They've got nobody else. There are many, I've got quite a few in my church, that are a bit peculiar. I say that in love. There are some that have special needs. There are some who are socially awkward. They have no family or friends, and they aren't accepted in society. And let me ask you this. If you don't show love and kindness to them, who do you think will? This is a last resort for a lot of people. If Christians can't love on those kind of people, who can? You need to look around you and pursue opportunities to show love to someone outside your circle. To break past those social barriers that we've inherited from the world and love people in Jesus' name. It's our job. Mark 9.41, Jesus says, For whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name, because ye belong to Christ, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. You know, one thing I think about when we have to uh, close the church or something for, well, up in our way, snow or something like that, is brother or sister so-and-so will have no contact with their friends this week. And they'll just stay home alone. Because church is all they've got. There's a lot of people like that. Praise God if you've got a family. But some people don't. And we need to be given, pursuing hospitality. The first responsibility of church members is to love each other. The second is to labor together. The third is to live peaceably. To live peaceably. Look at what verse 14 says. 
Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written... Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Quickly, we're going to look at the 10 aspects of living peaceably here in Romans 12. And the first, these are all very practical. The first is in conversation. Bless them which persecute you. Bless and curse not. The word blessed means to speak well of, to praise. God expects you, even commands you, to speak well of those people that trouble you and persecute you. Easier said than done, right? That's completely counterculture today. But as Christian, Titus 3 says, put them in mind to be subject to principalities and to powers, to obey magistrates, to be ready to every good work, to speak evil of no man, to be no brawlers but gentle, showing meekness unto all men. You need to practice this today. I'm going to take some liberty here. Don't talk down the people that have left. Don't talk down the people that have hurt you. Don't talk down the people that have disappointed you. As my grandmother always said, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. You know, there's truth in that. As hard as that seems, think about Christ, who, when he was reviled, reviled not again. When he suffered, he threatened not but committed himself to him that judgeth righteously. Bless them that persecute you. Speak well of them. And then, not only in conversation do we live peaceably, but with compassion. Rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with them that weep. Show empathy to your fellow church members. Care about what they care about. Laugh with them. Cry with them. Surprise somebody sometime by asking them, how are you doing today? And then stick around for an answer. They won't know what to say. Give somebody the time of day. Do you know what it feels like when somebody shows genuine interest in you while you're talking to them? Boy, that feels good, doesn't it? Do that for somebody else. Show compassion on others. Rejoice with them that rejoice. Weep with them that weep. In conversation, with compassion, in consensus. Be of the same mind, verse 16 toward one another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. We should be in agreement. We should be in harmony with each other. You should get along. You should all desire the same thing, and that's God's best for this church. And you should protect the harmony and the unity of this body and not allow anybody to sabotage that. Ephesians 4.3 says, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. It's work to get along, but it's, it's good work. It's worth it. And the second half of the phrase here, mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate, means that your priorities aren't the world's priorities. You don't care about the spotlight. You don't care about recognition or popularity or success. You just want to be a servant to everybody. I love the evangelist George Whitfield of the 1700s, an incredible man used by God to reach thousands, maybe millions, with the gospel of Christ. And he had every opportunity to produce a following after himself, his own denomination. As a matter of fact, if you study Methodism, it really started with George Whitfield, and he turned it over to the Wesleys. This is what George Whitfield said. He said, let my name be forgotten. Let me be trodden under the feet of all men, if Jesus may be thereby glorified. Let us look above names and parties. Let Jesus be our all in all. I care not who is uppermost. I know my place, even to be the servant of all. In a letter that he wrote 
to the godly lady Huntington, he said, Oh, that I may learn from all I see to desire to be nothing and to think it my highest privilege to be an assistant to all but the head of none. Condescend a man of low estate. In consensus, in conversation, with compassion, and without conceit. Be not wise, it says, in your own conceits. I thought immediately of Proverbs 26, verse 12. Seest thou a man wise in his own conceit? There is more hope of a fool than of him. Don't be wise in your own opinion or your own estimation. The truth is, nobody knows everything and nobody ever will. You know what this means? That means it shouldn't be heard over your dinner table or at the restaurant. You know, I know what's really going on. Don't assume that you have some special insight or intuition. You don't. And most of the time, you're wrong. That's where rumors begin. That's where gossip begins with people that think they know something when in reality, they know nothing at all. Think on things that are true, the Bible says. And stay out of business you know nothing about. Listen, be teachable and value the insight and opinions of other people. And if somebody tells you something that sounds like gossip, stop it right there. Say, how do you know that? And if they say, well, I just know. They're a liar. And you've caught them in a lie. So do what the Bible says and give them a dirty look. The north wind driveth away rain, so doth an angry countenance a backbiting tongue. It's right there. I'm serious. Somebody gossips about this church, and you say, how do you know that? You frown at them. And you stop it right there. Be, don't, don't be wise in your own conceit. In conversation, in consensus, without conceit, with compassion, and then under control, recompense to no man, evil for evil. Don't pay back insult for insult, evil for evil, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. That's the way the world operates. Not that I'm on it, but that's Twitter, right? Insult for insult. Just fights all over the place, back and forth. Whoever can get in the cleverest, wittiest dig. That's the way the world operates, and it's in the church. It needs to get out. Recompense to no man evil for evil. It's not how Christians are. And you should be visibly consecrated. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Your life is an open book. Everything is above board. There's nothing questionable, nothing shady. You're utterly and completely dependable and a man of your word. That's what that means. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. And then also desiring concord, if it be possible. As much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. It's not always possible to live at peace with everybody. I kind of expected more amens with that one. We put a lot of emphasis on those first four words, if it be possible. But you ought to give it your best shot. If there's tension between you and somebody else, it had better be completely out of your control. And in spite of all of your best efforts, some people you just can't please no matter how hard you try. I know. But God calls us to try our very best to be at peace with everyone. You should live your life in such a way and interact with people in such a way that you never have to dodge somebody at the grocery store. I'm a pastor. You know, I, I pastor in a town that's smaller than this. For, I was telling my wife this. To be in the country in Texas, you got to drive for two hours. We live 20 minutes away from the church, and we are in the country. And the church is in the city. So it's way smaller than this. If, if I were to dodge every person that's left my church in the grocery store, I wouldn't be able to go out anymore. You know what I do instead? I treat them like my best friends, like nothing ever happened. As much as lieth in you, be at peace with all men. It is up to us to forgive and move on and keep the peace. Matthew 5, 9, Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. And then also we need to live our lives in trusting concession. He says in verse 19, 
Beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Whose job is it to get even with those that have wronged you? God's job. That's God's job. Don't do God's job. He is far better at it than you and I are. It is our job to let God do His job. And we must be content with the knowledge that what He's promised, He will perform. Which means, if you are getting back at someone, no matter how small, no matter what it is, no matter how you're going about it, about it, you are out of bounds. Or as it's said around here, you're in God's jurisdiction. Trust Him to set things right in His way and His timing. And that's, that's God's job. That's above my pay grade. I don't have to think about that. And then finally, or not finally, almost finally, providing care. Verse 20, providing care. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Does your enemy have a need? Meet it. Say, well, wait a minute. Okay, let's think about Christ. Let's think about Christ. Colossians 1. And you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. God is not asking you to do anything that his son has not already done. We were God's enemies and we needed him to die for our sin. And he met the need. When we were still in our old building, a young couple came along and joined the church. He was very handy, very helpful. He was also very opinionated. For example, he greatly disliked one of my deacons at the time. And on one particular Sunday evening, when I asked that deacon to fill in for me and preach, this man stood up, left the service, took his wife and kids out of the nursery, and went home. Then they started to get scarce only coming when they had a class to teach or something they were supposed to do. Then they disappeared altogether. I'm the kind of guy who has to deal with people face-to-face. Matthew 18 teaches that. So I went to his house, sat down by his fire pit, so that he could tell me to, his, to my face that, yes, they were leaving the church. I was pleasant, and we parted ways. Several years went by, and this same family was building a new house, but the builder was running behind. They had sold their old house out from under themselves, and they were facing spending at least a week in a hotel with their kids. Turns out it was the week that we were going to be here. And the Lord led my wife to offer this family our house. My wife was surprised when they accepted. I was a little less surprised because even though he is a very proud and opinionated man, he was also faced with over $2,000 in hotel bills. And I would swallow my pride for $2,000. And so for, over, for a little over a week, a family that had left my church, lived in my house, slept in our bed, ate at our table, and played with our kids' toys. And when they finally moved into their house, they had us over for dinner. Bosom pals? No, we're not bosom pals, but we're not enemies either. Providing care. If thy enemy hunger, feed him. And then all of this in order to conquer. Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Don't be conquered by evil. We conquer evil with good. Doing these things in Romans 12 this way, living these things out will keep you from being overcome and ensnared by the trouble and ensure that you rise above it no matter your circumstances. Jesus said, he that overcometh shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. What are our responsibilities as church members? Well, we should love each other sincerely. We should labor together passionately, patiently, in prayer, and participating. And we should live peaceably with everyone as much as it's possible. I know it's been a rough ride, but I kind of wonder if 
God has shown you from Romans 12 a way in which you could make it a little bit smoother. Because heaven forbid your attitude or your actions or your conversation cause any more grief here. And maybe it's time to make things right with another church member. To live at peace with all men. Maybe you were planning to leave. This was your last week. But God's shown you. He expects you to stay. Maybe it's time to get busy again. Or to start giving again. Or get burdened and pray again. You must overcome. Together as a body with God's help, you can. But we must all do our part. Are you doing your part? Or has the Spirit shown you something this morning? Aaron's going to lead us in an invitation. And I encourage you, come and give that thing to the Lord and make it right. And let's get excited about what God has in store for the future of this church, which is His church. And Christ has promised, I will build my church. Brother Aaron, at your convenience. And together, turn to number 414. 414. 414. <clears throat> When we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory He sheds on our way while we do His good will. He abides with us still and with all who Trust and obey, trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey, not a shadow can rise. Not a cloud in the skies, but his smile quickly drives it away. Not a doubt nor a fear, not a sign nor a tear can abide while we trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey.